Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. We're making the emotional well-being of our children and youth the number one priority. Lynn and her guests are helping us learn and model proven healthy emotional habits to become rock-solid support systems for ourselves, our families, and communities. Now, here's your host. Hello and a shout out to all of you. I'm Lynn McLaughlin and I just want to share how excited I am. I just checked for the first time in about a year and Taking the Helm is ranked in the top 10% of most popular shows globally. And that's out of 3,181,026 podcasts that are produced around this world. Thank you. This would not be possible without you. This feedback is incredible. In addition to the reviews and the comments and emails that I receive, thanking me and our guests for the information that they're sharing, which is changing the way we're thinking about children and youth and their mental health in a proactive mindset. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you missed our last guest, Jenna Chouches, a nature play expert, she helped us to think differently about our homes, our schools, and our communities. When children can explore their environment outdoors, ask questions, and find their own solutions, how powerful that can be. Now, as I have written in every podcast episode, the primary purpose of this podcast is to educate, which does not provide any financial, legal, medical, psychological service, or advice. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests. You are responsible for your own physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. If you are in need of professional advice or medical care, please seek out the services of your own doctor or healthcare professional. Now, if you're a YouTube fan, you can listen there as well. Just search for Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. And it's time to welcome Teresa Alexander Inman. She's improving the world through family, child, teacher, and community empowerment. Her work focuses on helping parents who have children with developmental differences, such as autism spectrum disorders, Down syndrome, and ADHD. She also supports parents whose children may be at risk for developmental delays or not meeting expected milestones. She is an experienced and accomplished parent coach with expertise as a board-certified behavior analyst and infant-toddler developmental specialist. She's a podcast host. She offers a course, has a free ebook, and more. Well, Teresa, you just got off of a podcast as a host yourself with an incredible guest. I'm so pleased that you're able to join us today. Oh, my God. I am so happy to be here, Lynn. And thank you so much for accommodating me in my lateness because, you know, like I was telling you, it was just amazing. Like he was talking about parenting struggling teens and I could not get off. I'm like, Aaron, I just need you to keep sharing this information. And it was just, yeah, it was amazing. So, and again, I thank you for being so gracious. Well, gold is gold. And we're going to talk later in our show today about your podcast and what people can find when they listen to you. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, Teresa, you know, tell us about yourself and why you're doing what you're doing today. So I am a mom, a grandmother um, of two boys. One of them's with Jesus, but with me, he's, you know, he's still with me. Mm. (laughs) And um, my second son was premature and I had no idea what I was doing, like no clue whatsoever. And we were just told, come back in three months. And I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing in those three months? Like, I had no clue. But we went back in three months and they said, oh, he's doing fine. I'm like, okay, so what? I And honestly, I didn't even know the questions to ask. So to be fair, I had no idea what I should have been asking. You know, I was 21 years old. And um, I had 21-year-olds today are much more 
um, savvy and they know more than I did when I was, you know, a young wife of 21. And um, yeah, so I had no idea what to ask. And then, you know, then did I come back in six months again? Okay, back in six months. He's doing fine. What are you looking for? You know, <laughs> then come back in nine months. And actually, after we went back, um, we went back up until a year, like every three months until he hit a year. And they're like, oh, you don't need to come back. And again, I'm still struggling to find, I mean, they had him put some square, you know, a square shape in a square thingy and, you know, doing, you know, the shape sorter and all this and that. And I had no idea that they were looking at developmental milestones. I learned that years later because Uh I had no clue, you know, was he meeting developmental milestones? And if he was, what the heck were they? So I was lost. (laughs) I was so lost. So my goal, my passion, my mission now is to help parents so they don't have those questions because he's 36. And I was just like, wow, you know, I still ask myself, what could I have done differently? You know, and I thought, well, look, he's doing fine. Why are you still asking yourself that? And I don't want parents to have that same question. I don't want them to be wondering if they could have and should have and what they, you know, what needed to have been done. So my mission is to help. And sadly today, there's so many children who are not meeting developmental milestones. You know, the latest um, statistics on autism So when I first started in the field of behavior analysis, I'm also a behavior analyst. I know I jump all over the place a little bit because I just talk. Um, (laughs) It's all good. I love it. Certified behavior analyst and infant toddler developmental specialist. And I received those certifications so I can help children. And when I first started in the field, one in 69 children were being diagnosed with autism. One, Mm -hmm. yeah. Actually, it was one in 150 something children were being diagnosed with autism. And then it went down to one in 69. Now it's one in 36, 2023 numbers say one in 36 children are being diagnosed with autism. And what that means, 50% of them will talk, 50% of them will not talk. That will be nonverbal. Oh my goodness. It will be nonverbal, yes. And with early intervention, 80 to 90% of them will talk, yes. which is so powerful. And, you know, when I see children that I work with who went from babbling at two to having full conversations at three, I can just, I mean, it's just the air that I breathe. <laughs> oh, well, listen, and the connection here, you know, my career was special, still is <laughs> in special education. I'm at the college with educational assistance now. Um, and yeah, a- and ASD, the autism spectrum, it's huge, right? I mean, it's absolutely huge. I don't think you can have one person with autism that's this, that has this, everyone is different. It's just also unique on that spectrum. And I'm going to just throw this out to you. Okay. So 36 years ago, Teresa, we didn't have the internet. We didn't, you know, we went to the library to find research or we went to our doctors. So I just want to give you a little bit of credit to say, you know, we were all there. My oldest is 29. Uh, you buy a book, what to expect in the first year, what you, I mean, that's, that's where we got our information. It's not like the availability that it is today for our youth. So I just want to say that to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But understanding the milestones helps us see where, uh oh, something's off now. And now I can do early intervention. What are some of those early intervention things we want to be putting in place? Okay. So first of all, we want to, I want parents to understand that as soon as you feel, and I'm going to say feel instead of see, 
as soon as you feel that something is not right, because as parents, we feel before it's confirmed, right? True. Intuition, our instincts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do something, right? Because so often we go to doctors, you know, I have so many families who've said, oh, I went to the doctor and they said, wait, I went back and they said, wait, I went back and they said, wait, now we're two years later and the child is way behind, you know, there's the delay just, it, it compounds. Yes. Yes, it does. So we want to do something as soon as you feel that something is not, you know, your child is not progressing as they should. And I I worked with a mom who told me that at six months she knew, you know, and didn't start, didn't get help until the child was 18 months. Now, now she's one of the fortunate ones because there's some people who don't get help until the child is four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years old. And by then there's so much that could have been done. Right. So as soon as you feel something doesn't feel right, please get help. And like I said, if your doctor says, wait, wait, wait go to somebody else Mm -hmm. because some of I've worked with a company where the waiting list was over two years old and two years long, and they could not, they had to close it because it was not ethical to have people waiting that long. And these children were over three years old, right? So you've met, you've missed a lot of the critical period, which is from birth to three, where children create synaptic connections 1 million every second. Mm, It's incredible. Powerful. (laughs) Yes. And there's so much you can do with that, you know, and I'll just tell you, like, I'll give you an example. So yesterday I went to, I met a family for the first time and this little one is two and, you know, he's non-vocal and just, you know, parents are really struggling. They don't know what to do. They have you know, four other children older than him and one younger. And they've never faced this before because everybody, well, you know, you've had children in the past, but every child is different. You know, like you said, even with children who have delays, you've met one, you've met one. Right. You know, they present differently. And, um, but in the, you know, and I'm there because I'm working through um, early steps, which is the, um, you know, basically birth to three, it's called different things in different states. And so I went there and, you know, we became fast friends um, because I know how to get on the floor and play. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's what early intervention looks like, right? There's a lot of play involved. I, I believe in play. And the reason I left, well, I didn't leave being a behavior analyst, but I added the early intervention piece to it was because a lot of times I'd work with children who are three years old, who were not, you know, they didn't have shared attention, which, you know, is very important for communication. And at three, they didn't have that. And parents would say, well, why don't you do a puzzle with him? Your child is not ready to do a puzzle yet. They're still, you know, if you, you know, chronologically, they're three, but developmentally, they're not even a year old yet. So let's do the things to get them there, fill in those holes, get those gaps in, get that foundation in. Then we can play with maybe maybe do a puzzle a couple of months later or maybe even a year later. I don't know, depending on the child. Do you have a recommended developmental checklist that parents can refer to? There's so many out there. What's the one that you go to or you use? Honestly, the CDC milestones, they're, you know, they're, um, they're a good resource. Okay. And I'm going to put a link to those, to the, to that in the show notes as well. So people can refer to them. 
Yes, definitely. And I actually referenced that in my book. I basically, I wrote a book and I looked at the CDC milestones. Like, okay, if your child's not meeting this milestone, this these are the things that you do. If they're not meeting this one, these are the things. So I went through it, you know, from birth to three, just to outline what they could do, you know, ways that they could help their child. And they are, you know, the thing is in what we do, they're very simple things that we do. It's just that we may have to do them more intensely right? For your child. And, you know, my thing is embedding those things into your routine. So parents are not doing extra things. You know, like I told this mom that I was with yesterday, I met her for the first time and her child had never said a word before. Well, he said, mama, no, he said dada before. And we were playing with balloons because that's what he went to. So I basically, what he was interested in, I became interested in. So his sister just had a six-year birthday party and there were balloons and, you know, there was the number six and two round balloons and he kept playing with them. So I pulled the balloons down and then we played and laughed and bopped them and did all that. And then I said, go. And I let them go. And then he said, go. And mom was like, oh my gosh, you've only been here <laughs> an hour. And he said his first like word, you know, outside of Dada. And, um, but if you make it fun, if you make it interesting, if you're animated, you know, the children, are, you know, they're drawn to that because she said normally he didn't even go to new people and he came and sat on my lap, you know, because I made, you know, my thing, the first thing is safety. If a child feels safe with you, they will learn with you, you know, you become that reinforcer for them. You become that safety, you know, you become um, just somebody that they're comfortable with. And then when they're comfortable, then they can learn. And I'm not saying that parents are not comfortable, but a lot of times they're stressed because why isn't he talking? Why isn't this happening? You know, and they're stressed and they're frustrated and, you know, they're going through all these emotions. So they're not always comfortable. And the child senses that. So my goal is to, first of all, change the energy in the room by making it one of relaxation. So I use some mindfulness as well to help parents calm down, you know, and focus, like just be where you are right now. Don't worry about what could have been and should have been and what you feel you've done because you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, if you knew better, you would have done better. Got it. Yeah. So just be where you are and let's do this. You know, don't judge yourself because that's the other thing we do as parents, right? Especially moms. We oh, judge yes. ourselves. It's like, oh, I wish I had known this. And you listen, I wish I had myself, but what could what's that going to change? No, you know, we do I, what we know, like you said. We do what we know. Yes. So it's just really important that we remain present and be relaxed, be comfortable with your child. So that you establish yourself as in the behavior analysis or what we call as a reinforcer. And when you're that person, you're the fun person, they will be more likely to, you know, they'll get more comfortable and be more likely to use those words and show you those skills. Okay. Is there, um, so I put my special education hat and I think, I think about, you know, language and the first words. Is there a list of words that we should start to begin with those, or does it, we just flow with what the child is doing, whatever comes to them naturally by reinforcing it, whatever they say. Exactly. Whatever they say, because sometimes we try to get, take them somewhere they're not ready to go and that causes stress within themselves. Right. So if we do what they're saying and mom just picked up on it yesterday really quickly because she started to imitate his sounds. Oh, right. 
Because when you get in, I always tell parents, get into your child's world. Because once you do that, then they'll be more comfortable coming into yours. You know, you get into the world, do what it takes to get comfortable with them. I mean, I was laying on the floor with him, you know, get wherever he got to eye level, I would get there with him, you know, and he would look at me and smile. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you know, (laughs) and, you know, and of course, do it in a way that's not threatening. Right. Because sometimes we can be we can present as a little scary as adults. right? Yeah. Getting down to their level is definitely a, a very important part. Yeah. Yes, oh, I want to yes. flip it to, let's flip it to ADHD, mm-hmm. attention deficit. So, you know, a parent picks up on that for whatever reasons, they check the milestones, they follow how they're feeling. As you've said, what would be some early interventions that you would recommend? You know, I'll tell you what I did with my child, which probably wasn't at the time. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> None of us do at the time. Yeah. <laughs> He presented as very active and we would just do things. So first of all, I would do what he was interested in, but then we'd also put a part where we had to focus in there, right? Because helping children focus, they can focus, but we just have to help them with that. And often as parents, we do a lot of things that prevent that. So they've been playing with something for 15 minutes and we're like, oh, they've been playing with that for so long and we want to change it. Why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And this and this and that. So a lot of times we exacerbate the problem instead of helping support children in that. Well, and I wonder, you know, do we understand executive functioning, right? For a child with ADHD and how things are happening in their brains very differently than ours, (laughs) very differently. Yes. And, you know, um, a gentleman, I can't remember his name. He's a doctor and he's also, um, he has also been diagnosed with ADHD and he equated it to having a Ferrari brain and bicycle brakes. Oh, oh, that's an interesting analogy. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. So we're trying to slow this child down now. And the best way to do it is by doing something that they're interested in. Do it with them. Find out what they're interested in. Observe them. Because sometimes parents are like, well, we don't know. Observe them. You know, whatever thing you like, they, whatever they'll spend more than five minutes on, they're interested, Mm -hmm. right? And you can see there, you can see, you can literally see the gears turning. They're, you know, problem solving, they're thinking, they're doing all these great things, you know, that again, you know, and then we come in and we're like, oh, well, why don't you do that? You've been doing that for so long. And you're like, okay, but, you know, he is focused. Yes. And instead of celebrating, oh, look how long you've been doing that. You've been, you've been playing. Show me what you've done. Help me, you know, let's play together and joining them and celebrating. Exactly. Because we want to do what's comfortable for us a lot of times, Mm. you know, because we don't understand. And that's why, you know, I love that you said that, you know, ask them what they're doing. What are you creating? You know, what problem are you solving? And using that kind of language, because that puts into that, oh, I'm a creator. I'm a problem solver. Right. And children become what you tell them. Right. Like when you tell a child that they're smart, they don't become smarter. Because smart is so, it's vague. It doesn't mean anything. You know, I was told I was smart and I was afraid to ask questions because I didn't want anybody to think I was dumb. Yeah, you know? it becomes, so you are basically, and I, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guest, probably about six guests ago who talked about this as well, where if smart, 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 you're smart. Well, that becomes their, part of their identity. And then they're afraid to not be, like you just said, afraid yes. to make mistakes. They're afraid to fail. 
it's interesting when we think about things that we say to kids and I did with my own kids that I thought were positive affirmations actually might not have been. No, exactly. And I made the mm. same and, you know, later I found out that, you know, I ha- I'm a little ADHD and I had to try to figure out ways to, you know, to do it. So it's just really important. Like I said, you know, make sure you're in, you get into what the child's interested in and stop trying to change everything. When they do something, receive it, accept it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we tell them, oh, well, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way? Now we're telling them that what they're doing is not good enough. Right. So we want to be very careful of that and understand that their brains are going so fast, you know, that they that they need us to regulate. Because a lot of times, you know, they're going this way and then we're getting frustrated because they can't stop and they're the best thing for you to do as a parent is to remain calm. You know, I tell parents, sit down and exaggerate four square breathing, mm-hmm. you know, which is breathe in for four, hold for four, for four, breathe out for four. And your child, because we have mirror neurons, they will more likely do that. Because when you're telling them, sit down, stop that, da, 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 that is just causing them more stress and more tension, more pressure because their body is saying, I can't, you know, if your child gets up and jump, that's because your body needs to jump, allow them to do that. Because, you know, as a, um, um, a uh, occupational therapist once told me, you know, it's like an itch a child can't scratch. And if you don't scratch that itch, it just becomes more of an issue. So allow them to do the things, allow them to express themselves in the way that they express themselves, support it. Because the more you fight against it, the worse it gets. Well, for you, know, you as well, right? What you're modeling is is not what we should be modeling. And, you know, I, I think of a lot of, I've talked about this a few times, but a lot of us, we need to reflect ourselves and say, what is it that, what strategy do I use that calms myself? So if I am upset or angry and I show those emotions and they're okay to feel because they're part of me, but then what do I do about it to take control rather than being in that fight or flight mode all of the time? So if we model those positive strategies for our kids, like you said, I love that mirror image that they're going to learn that too. Yes. Yes, they will. Because they feed off your energy. They feed off everything that you do. Your children become you. I don't know about you, Lynn, but I became my mother. (laughs) Yeah. I was just talking to my daughter about that this morning, actually. (laughs) She said, I've been thinking about your childhood and I know why we have the relationship that we do. And I went, you're right. I've had, it took me a while to figure it out myself, but you're right, honey. Good for you. And you're only 26 years old. (laughs) You figured it out. (laughs) That's it. I mean, my mother worried like there was no tomorrow. And I had to make a concerted effort not to become that person. You know, but, yeah, but so you had to be aware of that to make yes. that concerted effort, right? It's about that, in my mind, that conscious, those conscious choices and the awareness mm-hmm. is, is a first step, right? It, absolutely. And in order to do that, you have to slow down, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> take a few minutes just to breathe. You know, one of, and Aaron said it so well, breathe on purpose, because we spend so much time breathing unconsciously that we don't even think about it. But when you take a few moments to breathe on purpose, you know, do some deep belly breathing and just focus on that breath. It's amazing what you, what will happen. It sure does, because you calm all of that stuff down so you can actually think. (laughs) 
exactly. you can actually problem solve. Teresa, yeah. you mentioned a, a little while ago your book, but I, I, what's the title of the book? What can parent? What can we expect if we if we purchase a copy? Tell us a little bit more. And then you mentioned Aaron. Who is Aaron? So Aaron Huey, he is a parent coach okay. who helps um, parents with teens who are struggling. You know, and whether it be suicide, drug addiction, um, you name it. You know, he he's right there, and just all of those hard feelings, all of those tough situations, you know, he's been through it and he helps parents who are going through it. And um, yeah, so he mentioned that, you know, about, you know, breathing on purpose. And, you know, and I noticed that when I started um, a mindfulness journey, my life became a lot more peaceful. Agreed. Agreed. Oh my goodness. And this sometimes it's the people you meet in your life that, that help you make that first step and find your way, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you ask about my book. So yeah, it's called How Can I Help My Child Communicate? It's available on Amazon and it's also available like wherever you find books at, on, um, it's also on like available as an e-reader. So yes. Kindle and Biblio and all of those. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's it just goes through the developmental milestones and what I've done, I've used stories from my practice to demonstrate how to, um, you know, to demonstrate the skills. So I, I love the concrete examples that make, oh, it just makes such a difference having those concrete examples. It really does. Yeah. Many of yeah. us are that kind of a learner, right? We need to, we need to see it, to visualize it, to say, aha, that makes sense to me. Right. And I love stories. So I, you know, I, I just embedded a lot of stories from my practice into it. Um, some of them are fun, some of them not so much, but they're all real. Um, I changed the names to protect my clients. And, um, you know, I even used, you know, my granddaughter's stories and that just, you know, just demonstrating some skills that she learned um, when, you know, just in our hanging out together and just the way that you can model for children because they're always observing us. <laughs> And we want to make sure that we are being that example, Um, you know, and just some of the tips from the book, when you, you, from birth, start talking to your child, you know, please start talking to your child and make note, you know, after the first, I think the first eight days or so, you may have to go close up because, you know, their vision isn't all clear. So, you know, make sure that they're looking at you. You know, in the first month, if your child is not focusing on you, get some help, mm-hmm. you know, have their vision checked. If you don't think they can hear you, have their hearing checked because we always want to rule out medical before we start doing any kind of early intervention. Oh, that Otherwise it will be for not, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's a great start to some concrete um, strategies and things to look for. We need to head off to break. Let's continue with that conversation afterwards, Teresa. I also want to ask the question, can we help children into a disability? And that's a really tricky one and a controversial one. It sure is. All right, everybody, we'll be right back. Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. 
In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. You are listening to Taking the Helm with host Lynn McLaughlin. Now, let's get back to the show. And we are back from break with Teresa Alexander Inman. We've been talking all things early intervention in the first half of the show. Uh, um, Teresa was just talking about her book and some of the milestones that we need to be watching for. We just talked about the first month. What other things would you suggest for us today, Teresa? Okay, so definitely, you know, your child needs to be smiling back at you. If they're not, that's a concern, right? Because that's the start of shared attention. And it it predictable it it predicts, it consistently predicts linguistic ability later on. So will your child develop language as the milestones um indicate? Right. Or will they have a delay? So it's really important because shared attention is how we learn, right? We learn by looking at each other and interacting with each other. So it's just really important that we are mindful of that. So if they're reaching for you, if they're laughing, if they're picking up something and holding it to you, right, that's all shared attention. Yeah, that's br- oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's super important because if not, again, the second you feel something, if it doesn't feel right, get help. Okay, let's move forward to, you know, I think about my three kids. They all walked at different times. What's the mm-hmm. actual milestone? Is it is it 12 months is the is the average for a child to begin walking? The average, yes. It's about 12 months. Okay. Because yeah. I might well, before yeah. and after it's an average, exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? The milestones are not hard and fast. They're, they just give you an idea of what could be happening at that time. So if your child is off by a couple of months on either side, that is not a problem. You know, sadly, and I was just listening to something yesterday that we tend to wait until the child is three and they haven't met all these milestones. Like, oh my gosh, we need help now. But again, take advantage take advantage of that birth to three where we want to do as much as we can before three. So as soon as you know something, do something. As soon as you feel something, do something. You know, okay. involve your child in your daily activities. You know, you're doing laundry. You can talk about the laundry. You can, you know, put a piece of warm clothing and, oh, doesn't that feel warm? <laughs> or this feels cold. Just help them through because that will help with not only their expressive, but their receptive language. Mm-hmm. Vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Because okay. the more words the child hears, the more words they're going to use later on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had asked the big question about the use of technology. What do you think? That's a tough one. You know, for a long time, we said, <laughs> keep them off technology. I just, I was so anti-technology. Now I do see that there are benefits of it and um, use technology sparingly. Children will learn. Yes. And especially I found like children on the spectrum, they can't say a word to you, but they're swiping left and right and up and down and doing all the things, right? Yeah. 
So use it sparingly, use it with limits. And if I may just add, I was introduced to an, to an app recently called Carrots and Cake. Oh. It's amazing. So basically what, what it is, first you eat your carrots and then you get your cake. So children, um, it's based on age. So you basically, you put in your child's age, right? Your, your, the, the, the month and year of their birth, it will populate educational games. Beautiful. And then you set the educational games. So maybe you want them 15 minutes on here and 15 minutes on there. And then once they're finished with their carrots, so those are their carrots. And once they've consumed their carrots, now they can have the cake. And you also set, so it gives you those games and you can set the limits of how long you want them on it. And, you know, and I shouldn't say just games, but activities and that are age appropriate as well. And you, they, you know, you can set the time limits for that and then it shuts off. Well, and it makes sense because it's connected to, you know, developmental as well. Um, I've been researching and I've actually, I'm hoping to get a guest from, have you heard of of the wait till eighth campaign? It is, oh my gosh, there's over a hundred thousand parents involved in in the United States now. It was just a mom who said, what is going on with kids in grade two and grade three coming to school with cell phones? So it's parents who come together in the same school community and take the pledge that they're going to wait till the eighth grade to give their children a cell phone. And it is only like a flip phone. It is for texting and phoning and there's no social media apps or anything else. And it's what you just said about, uh, let me look down, carrots to cake. It's step by step by step. They learn how to use it appropriately, when to use it, when not to use it. Uh, and then they learn all the risks, all, you know, the targeting, the, all those other kinds of things that, that happen. So I think it's just really important to thank you for sharing what you've learned and what I've learned so parents can look at other options as opposed to just, oh, everybody else in my class has one. I should have one too when they're in grade three. Exactly. I mean, I've got six and seven year olds who have cell phones. They have iPhones. And I'm just like, there is no need. I tell my parents, I'm like, listen, like, you know, hold on to those phones. You know, they don't need them. And I have suggested flip phones, you know, and the 15 year old was like, well, why should, you know, it's like, it's just for calls and tests because what they're doing they're instead of being in class, they're on games and they're focusing because these things are addicted. They are designed to be addicting because the developers, they look at brain technology and, you know, brain, just, you know, how brain works and they design these games so that children can consume them. I I think it's all cautionary. We know more. We know so much more now than we did 10 years ago. I'm proud to say that I'm on a kid. None of my kids got to fall until eight, but I wasn't smart enough to make them limited. And then they get sucked into the whole social media thing too quickly without really understanding all the repercussions of it. Anyway. Okay. Thanks sir, for entering that conversation with me. We really didn't talk about that in advance. All right. The big question, the, the controversial question, can we help children into a disability, Teresa? We certainly can. Mm. And there's studies that show that. Right. So first of all, if you help your child too much, so I don't care if the child is too, let them do what they're able to do. Stop helping them so much. You know, I was working with a family and the little boy was climbing up the toilet 
to sit, you know, we were working on toilet training and mom wanted to help him because she thought his foot was going to go in the water. I said, just watch what he'll do. Just wait. And he navigated and his foot went, you know, he did all the right things and sat properly. And I said, look, he just taught you something. Yeah. You know, yes. <laughs> we do that. And what we're doing when we, when we keep helping so much, we're preventing children from building neural pathways. And because the more pathways they build, the more they learn, the more pathways they build, the more ability they have to learn. And remember, from birth to three, they make a million synaptic connections per second. These are all opportunities for learning. So we and we tend to, you know, like I said, because we don't want them to get hurt. We don't want this. We don't want that. And we prevent them. And, you know, I wrote an article in Brains Magazine. I was telling you that you know, I talked about helping children into a disability and we did not even talk about that. And then you mentioned it because we do that, right? And there was a study by the Kegels. So they have a clinic in California. They worked with children who are on the spectrum, discharged the children. So when they were discharged, they were all at the same level. You could not tell a child who had a diagnosis from a child who didn't have a diagnosis okay. when they completed the program. Years later, they were like, you know, clearing their offices and, you know, back in the days of VHS tapes, I don't know, remember. Oh, those. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they were like, oh, I wonder what happened to these children who are now adults. And they found some were working, some were, you know, in higher education, so college, university, and others were in homes being cared for. The difference they found was initiation. So children weren't, you know, because, oh, my baby has a diagnosis. Let me do this for them. Let me do that for them. Yeah. Instead of allowing them to struggle a little bit and figure it out and problem solve yeah. and create those pathways in their brains, parents were doing things for them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's I, I think about my great niece. Oh, my gosh, this this she's just two and a half. And uh, my sister was saying, Oh, I took her out. I wanted to take her out the other day. And she stood at the car and my sister went to help her. And she said, me do me do Heather, nice. my sister, Heather. Okay, well, she tried this way. And she tried this way. And she and then finally, she said, you do. But she asked for help. She tried it. She experienced it. And my sister just got such a kick out of it. But that little person is figuring things out. Right. Disability, no disability, just natural exploration is so, so, so important. And it's hard to let our kids fail, though, isn't it? It is. It is but they learn from failing. Yeah. They learn from not getting it right. They learn from problem solving. And if we don't allow them to because we don't want them to contact that, what's going to happen later on in life when they're making mistakes left, right and center? Now they feel like they're less of a person. They're not they're not as resilient because we didn't allow them to fail and problem solve, mm -hmm. right? We've done them a disservice. Okay, now there's a caveat to this, right? If a child needs help because they have physical limitations, then of course, yes. let's help them. However, <clears throat> if there's a way that we can teach them to ask for that help or do some part of that, let's also empower them to do that, right? Instead of us always anticipating their needs and doing everything for them. You know, um, when I was studying to be an ITDS, an infant toddler developmental specialist, we watched a video of a little girl and the only body part she could move was her head. So there was, they used a toy where if she wanted this thing, she would use her head and hit the one button. If she wanted something else, she would use her head to hit the other button. So that was also empowering her to make decisions in her life despite her physical limitations. Well, because we all 
need control, some level of control. Two-year-olds still need a level of control in their life too, right? Absolutely. So in addition to the teaching piece, it is about, yeah, I'm in charge of me. <laughs> yes. And having them build that sense of self, that sense of, you know, that confidence that you want them to have that, you know what? I struggled. I tried. I did it. And I always ask parents, why would you, like, I should say, please don't take away the, I did it feeling from a child. Oh, I love that. Yes. Cause when we do that, like we're robbing them of, you know, that feeling cause you're always doing for them. So allow them, you know, cause like imagine the look on a little girl's face or a little boy's face when after they struggle, they struggle. They're like, look, mommy, I did it. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh my goodness, yes, you did. You know, it's like the little engine that could, right? You know, just encourage them through it. You the know, celebration. Of doing it for them. And a lot of times I tell parents too, if you feel you absolutely must help, do it in a way that they don't realize that you're helping. You know, and I'll give you an example. So we had a foster child, um, you know, a while ago and he was five at the time and he put on a tank top and it was all, you know, those little um, undershirts and it was just all twisty. And he was like, mom, help me. I said, no, I'm not going to help you because you can do this, you know, and he struggled and struggled. So I went behind him so he couldn't see me. I used my finger to direct it over because again, the arm was going <laughs> over his head. I just used my finger to direct it over his head. And then, uh, and then he put, he goes, I did it. I said, yes, you did. Oh, and beautiful. After that, he did it correctly, but it, it became a joke now. Mom, could you please help me? Nope. You can do it. You got this. You're a problem solver. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And you know what happened next was even more beautiful. So we were driving, I was taking him to the daycare and he sat in the back seat. He was just the quietest he'd ever been. I was like, what are you doing back there? You know, and then uh, he didn't even answer me. He was just so busy doing what he was doing. Then he was like, oh, I tied my laces. I was like, you, so because I'm thinking he had this success, he had the confidence now to practice and learn and struggle through and tied his shoelaces because uh. he knew the steps in his head. He could never quite coordinate them with exactly what to do. But that one success led to another and another. And he tried new things. He even tried new foods because now he's conquered this, you know, this undershirt, right? So now he's confident to try other things. And that's the resilience that we build in children and the, you know, the, the, um, the ability to forge ahead, you know, that feeling that we give them that they can forge ahead and they can try anything. And you know what? ask for help if they need it. And when they do help, like I said, as little as you little need as to. you can't. Yeah, yeah. Helping doesn't mean doing, you know, I was working with one of my assistants and a child asked her to help her with something. And she did the whole thing and handed, I said, she said, help not do, you know, helping can be also explaining, well, what's the first thing you need to do? And then, all right, you know, walking them through it step-by-step. Step. Exactly. Yeah. Or sometimes they can come up with it themselves or, you know, they'll say, well, what, what should I do? And I said, well, do you, what do you think you should do? Right. Yeah. And then they'll tell us like, exactly. Cause again, they're lacking the confidence to act. I mean, I sometimes like the confidence to act. I was in a training session last week and I keep the answer in and I held on to it and didn't submit it. Cause I'm like, it was right. And of course, 
you know, it wasn't until my coach was like, oh yeah, this is a, I was just like, mm-hmm. now it's too late for me to put it up there. Cause now it's just like, I'm repeating what she said. <laughs> so if we do it, imagine children. Yeah. you know, yeah. Cause parents were like, well, they should know. We should know too. And we still, you know, do whatever. Like there are times when I can't think of what to say. So, you know, when, when children can't think of what to say, Instead of us, you know, judging and criticizing, oh, you should know and you should know, give them the words because then it's, it comes from a place of love. Now, I said all that, and I'm just going to go back a little bit. If you're stressed and frustrated, you're not going to give them the words because you're stressed, you're frustrated, you're tired. You're all the things because you didn't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. When we have taken care of ourselves, right, self-care is really important. And I have self-care tips also in my book. Because so, so the mindful if, part. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because if parents don't care for themselves, they cannot care for their children well. You know, and we all say, well, isn't it selfish? No. Self-care is selfless because then you can really show up for your child. You can be present because you've slept, you know, you're, you've eaten, you've taken a walk, you've done something to fill yourself so you can pour into your child. Okay. That's a great segue, Teresa. I want to flip to your podcast, Parenting with Confidence. You have had, so I've, and that's why I invited you to my show. I heard your podcast, incredible guests who, you know, if you can listen to a show and, and then leave with curiosity to want to investigate something a little bit further and decide, is this something I want to try or not try? That to me is what's so powerful. So talk to us about your podcast. So i I started it scared, first of all. <laughs> I, I'm right with you, right with you. <laughs> I wanted to present parents with something. I wasn't sure what, but I just know that I work with so many parents. And like I told you, the parents who've been on waiting lists for years, and I wanted to give them something while they're waiting. Instead of sitting back, I wanted to present them with something. So it's just like, if there's some nugget I can share, if there's something that somebody can, you know, somebody, I, you know, it may not be something that I'm well-versed in, but my guests may be. So that was the motivation for that. And I planned on just talking on my podcast and then people started asking to be on it. I'm like, what? So... (laughs) And it's been an incredible journey, but everything there is for a parent. You know, it may not be for us. It's not for a specific, but there's something that any parent can pull out that they can use. Yeah. And that you can research the guest. You can look at the bio. You can read the title in the description and decide if that's the ones for you. And I'm going to admit something here because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I very often will, um, oh, I shouldn't say this, but I will speed things up to 1.5 or to two, because, and then uh, I do, because I want to hear the whole thing and you, you, Mm because we're limited for time. And then I can say, Oh, wait, okay. I want to go back and listen to that one again. (laughs) I don't know. It's just a strategy for me because I just love listening and learning to others from others. (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. I love learning. I mean, I have books that I have, you know, I'm I'm stockpiling because I'm like, I'm going to read them. I may not, but you know, I listen to podcasts because I want to learn And, you know, I'll go to the guest websites and, you know, sign up for their newsletters because I love learning. Oh, I know. I had to, oh, that's, and that could become overwhelming in your email box, but all right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Just think about maybe your last 10 guests. Is there one that you just say, oh my gosh, every parent has to listen to this person. Ooh, you want me to pick one? 
Oh yeah, that's hard, isn't it? It is. Okay, so I'm going to yikes. Because okay, I want to take three and put them all together. Actually, four. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. So there's Gina Mundy, who's she started like her thing is working with she's an attorney and she works with parents um who, you know, in in this in pregnancy stage. Okay. And because there's so many, you know, like so many mistakes happen in pregnancy that she wrote a book to teach parents what those issues might be to prevent them. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and things like Pitocin, never heard of Pitocin, but she's like, yeah, Pitocin is a big problem. And, you know, all these other issues and helping parents make those decisions, you know, about the teams, about the doctors, you know, just all the things that help make that moment that you become a parent beautiful. Oh, so we're going to pre-birth now, pregnancy. Yes. Yeah. So I just thought, because I always think what, even with, for me, I always thought, because my mom told me, start reading to your children when you're pregnant. When they're in the womb. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I did that. And my children read at third and fourth grade when they were in grade one, you know, they actually started reading before they got into school, you know, and um, so it worked, you know, and also, you know, the things that I ate and all of that. So it all, it has to start with pregnancy. And the other one, cause I'm really big on self-care. So Muriel Falous. I love her too, because she's got, she and my sister have the same name. Uh-huh. Um, she does self-care. So she does EFT tapping, you know, oh, and yes. she said, yeah, she had a child, you know, who was suicidal and that, and she used EFT to get herself to a place where she could deal with it in a way that served her and her child instead of stressing and worrying. Cause self-care is huge. Again, if you don't put that mask on first, we're all done. Mm-hmm. It's very you know? true. It's very true. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I know you wanted to mention a couple of more, but hey, listeners, everybody, yeah. if you want to know what Pitocin is or EFT tapping, go and check out Parenting with Confidence with Teresa as the host and listen yeah. to those guests. I, I do want to jump over before we end this show, Teresa. I understand that you have a free ebook. You have so much on your website um, available for people to download, to read about. Could you just share a little bit about what's available? Yes. So there's a free ebook. And actually what I've done, I took excerpts excerpts from my book and put it in there. So it's just the scaled down version of my book, How Can I Help My Child Communicate? And um, just to give parents something, you know, to start with. And I also um, a contributor for Brains Magazine. So I've written a couple of articles. So there's a tab at the bottom where they can go to. And there's a code that they can scan to get to, because I also do educational you know, tips on TikTok and others. So just to give parents, because my passion, my goal, my dream is just to help in any way that I can. And I want to just reach parents. Maybe I'm diluting myself a little much, but I just want to give you all I can do all I can to help. So if you're a TikToker, you can go on TikTok and watch, you know, some videos and, um, and learn something. They're just very quick tips, things that you can do to help your child, you know, with those meet those developmental milestones. And you also have a course breakthrough parenting solutions, right? I do. Yes, yes, yes. 
And that's also, it goes deeper. So I walk you through it. I work with you step-by-step, you know, look at your particular situation. Where is your child and what is your goal? Where do you want to go? And then we realistically look at, okay, what your child can achieve step-by-step-by-step and how to achieve those goals. Because every child is different. So your friend did it that way. Your child learns differently. So we look at how your child learns and we teach them based on how they learn, how to meet those milestones, how to fill in and put in that foundation. All right. And everything is available on your website. Where can people find you? It's TeresaAlexanderInman.com. And Inman is I-N-M-A-N. So the words in and man together. There you go. Wonderful. I am so appreciative of your time and joining us today, Teresa, with all of the tips that you've shared about early intervention. And, you know, if, like I said earlier, if we can just leave the show with questions and curiosity, we've met our goal. Yes, absolutely. Because you know what? We all want to learn more. We should want to learn more, right? It shouldn't stop there. So, you know, and there's so many, there's so much out there. And I think we're experiencing information overload. Like you mentioned when, you know, when I had my child, yes, we had the library and that was it. Now we've just got so much and it's like, what do I use? What's going to help me? And I want to help you navigate your way and give you a path to help your child. That's the first thing that we do actually set a path. Yeah, You you raise a very good point about what, what information is accurate what people have the qualifications to be helping along, what people are just jumping on the bandwagon. And it's really up to us to do that research before we jump into a contract or hire someone for sure. It is absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I just want to encourage you, you know, one of my favorite sayings is prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child. Now, I don't know who wrote it. It said anonymous, but that's been my mantra because if we keep clearing everything out of the way, we're really not helping a child, right? Help them navigate the things of life and ask yourself if what you're doing is not helping your child, if, if it's not serving your child, then do something different or reconsider what you should be doing. I love the mantra. Thank you so much for closing with that. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Miss Lynn. It's been wonderful. My pleasure and my honor. The next time we come together, we'll be welcoming Emily McDermott as our guest. She's the host of Moms Overcoming Overwhelm. She's a decluttering coach for overwhelmed moms, and she's written special poems for special occasions. Learning to let go of clutter actually is much more than the physical clutter around us, and it sets a wonderful example for our children. We'll see you next time, and let's continue to check our compass and learn what we need to as we empower our children to face those ups and downs of life, which will surely come. Be well. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for children and youth that empowers them to be their best selves. It starts with us at home and in our communities. Until we talk again, be well.